Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. If you're struggling with drugs, alcohol, gambling or food, or concerned about somebody who is, tune in to The Living Free Show on 3CR at 1pm every Thursday. I don't know how I got there, but and I couldn't stop it. I had stopped expecting that anybody cared. Never enough. I'm never enough. It's never enough. He's never enough. That was the confusion. Tune in to Living Free, stories of recovery from addictive behaviour, Thursdays at 1pm on 3CR. Or listen at 3CR on digital radio or podcasts and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. Being able to centre myself and be okay in myself and turn my world around. Living free. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'm Anne, and with co-host Bill, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We'd like to pay our respects to elders past and present and to acknowledge that sovereignty over this land was never ceded. Each week on The Living Free Show, as you know, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drug, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery stories and highlight that shared experience saves lives. This week I'm joined by Demetra, a member of Al-Anon Family Groups. Welcome, Demetra. Hi, Anne. Thank you for having me here today. Thanks for coming in today. Well, not that you're in, you're, you're calling in today. <laughs> um, Okay, so um, we'll hear about your, your story, your Al-Anon story today and any other parts of your story you'd like to tell. Uh, can you tell us, uh, I understand you grew up in Sri Lanka, can you tell us a little bit about your early life? Sure. Um, I was born in 66 in Sri Lanka and, in, um, and at that time I had five other siblings and my parents decided to move us to Australia because there was trouble in Sri Lanka. So as we didn't have um, much money, we moved to Jakarta, which is near Broadmeadows in Melbourne. And then my parents had another seven children. So there's 13 of us. I have eight sisters and four brothers. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Right. So I'm very interested to hear about what that was like at your place with 13 kids. Well, um, I would love to say it was great. Um, it wasn't because it was in 68 and so we were brown skin mm. and obviously we had an accent. So people didn't like that and um, it wasn't very welcoming. And they did try to petition this out, even though my parents had bought a small house. Um so there was a lot of racial discrimination at that time, um, going to school and so forth. It wasn't very pleasant. Mm. Um, we had the police come over a fair bit because people used to complain about the noise, but we were very well-behaved children. Mm. Um, that's how my dad raised us. So um, it was unpleasant. Um, mm. And we also, which amazes people, we had one bathroom, one toilet, and there was 15 people living in the house. Wow. Are you actually saying that the the neighbourhood raised a petition? 
So it was that bad. Yeah, the they racism. just didn't. Yeah, because you know that was in '68, mm. and anyone that looked different mm-hmm. was, um, well, in my experience, we were treated like that, and I was afraid. Um, especially of police, and I was not. They never were disrespectful when they came mm. to our home, but they had to follow through. Um, and and of course, I have a Sri Lankan accent when I talk to my family. Yeah. <laughs> so people are just afraid of what they don't know. That's right. Yep. Um, and what about problem drinkers? To to add to that, was there a problem drinker in your family? Yeah. Well, my dad, um, just like his parents, um, and it was mainly the males that were allowed to drink because we were from Sri Lanka. Mm. So it was just normal for men to drink, families to come over, women would cook, and um, the males would drink, and then even play um, cards and Mm. poker for money and gambling. So that was kind of a normal thing. Mm -hmm. And not for women to drink. No. And was your father's um, alcohol alcohol consumption a problem for for anyone in the family, or or, or not problematic? I uh, my dad worked two jobs, so when he had time off, because um, he worked at night sometimes, so he wasn't a everyday drinker because he would work. Mm-hmm. But when he was at home, he would drink quite a bit. But we never looked at I never looked at it like that. I just thought it was normal, and he worked and. Um, it wasn't a problem. It was just later in life that occurred to me. I see. Yep. Um, okay. So what was your experience of school and, and early friendships like, given that difficult, um, you know, racial situation that you'd found yourself in? Yeah, that was not good. Um, we went to a Catholic school. We were brought up Catholics. We went to church every day. We also used to run to church Monday to Friday at 6.30 in the morning um, and then get in the car that day and, and Sunday um, and sit the rosary every day. Um, so we were very well behaved, uh, brought up very strict. We weren't allowed to really go over to people's place and stay at anyone's house at night. Mm-hmm. But at school, it was very difficult. I had a, a learning disability, which I never told anyone and the teachers at that time, not like now, um, there was 30 kids in a classroom. So it wasn't picked up. And then, of course, especially the boys, they were not nice. Mm. And they would, um, when we had dancers, they would hold out their jumpers and get me to hold their jumpers so they wouldn't have to touch me like I had a disease. And um, and I was always the last one to get chosen. So I had a terrible experience at school and dropped at it when I was 17 because I wasn't, I was a very average student. I didn't really, could say I had a best friend. I used to just follow people around. So I felt lonely. Mm, mm. And then at home, I would keep all this to myself as all my family did and not tell anyone. So I used to live in my head a lot. Yeah. And and was there um, emotional support within the family? Did you have a, a, a special sibling that you were close to? No, because um, some of us just stayed to ourselves, but like we wanted to be be part of the older ones, mm. and we weren't, so we kind of went individually. So I used to just be in my head, talk to myself, and um, just keep my head down, and um, I was number six in line, and mm. that's how I lived. Yeah. Okay, so um, you leave school at, at 17. What, what did you move on to? 
Well, I got a job in the city. I didn't know what I was doing. It was a very basic job, just like making coffee and going to the bank for the, the accounting firm. Very, very simple. It took me a long time just to learn where to go and how to use the train system and all that. Mm. But I caught on because I one thing that um, my parents always taught me was work hard. So I worked hard. So I would always be there on time. And if someone asked me to do something, I always tried to do it the best I could. So I always thought I was beneath people. Mm. And and that was that was because of the the um, reception you got in this country. Yes, and yes, for sure that had an impact. And I also think coming from a big family, yeah, um, you parents don't have that time to spend with each child. And I feel I've only I have two children of my own. Yeah, that that's why I only had two because I think uh, children need that. Indiv- it's not about money; it's more about time and love and patience um, to help children to whatever they're going through and a safe space to be able to share their feelings. Yeah. And so you're providing that for your children now? Yeah. That's wonderful. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about your early adult life then and uh, how it played out for you, say, over the next five to ten years? Yes, I was um, I was very shy and um, I didn't have any self-esteem, but I would get angry very easily. So I learned a lot of behavior from my dad. Uh-huh. And in my mind, I thought, well, if I have money, I'm going to be happy because that's the problem. That's what I thought the problem was. And then I thought, well, if I also look pretty, maybe people would look past my skin color. And, and so I would use the little that I had just to be looked upon in a nice manner. Mm. And I have put myself in dangerous situations because of that thinking. And um, But what I did, I worked really hard and I was the opposite. I would save, I'd only earn $250, pay my parents rent. And then I would save money. And then at 27, I bought my own place wow. in Elwood. <laughs> and because um, every year I would just put a little bit more. And then seven years later, I did um, buy, uh, buy my place out fully. Um, but I thought that was the problem. If I had money and I looked nice and I blended in as much as I could, and I really would just agree with people just um, I, to be liked, yeah. to be in- included, to feel important, even though I never did. Mm-hmm. Um. That's still an amazing achievement. To yeah, I really like that idea that you you came from. You had all that difficulty, and you just grabbed your the two assets you had. You know, desire to to make more money and good looks, and you just thought, right, I'm just going to you know sail along on this little raft of uh, attributes that you had. Yes, yeah, something. Yeah, and um, and of course, a lot of bad things happened during. Um, that that growing up period Mm. um and as they say you know secrets will make you sick because the more you stuff it down and then you start to believe your own thinking and because you're playing it i was playing it out in my head yeah and i just um thought i was always right Uh uh-huh which was never true like not all of it so it's a false way of living you mean you believed that you the thoughts that you were having about yourself were right and true thoughts? Yes, 
yes, like even the part when I thought I wasn't good enough, I'm, I, I used to think, I used to say to myself, I'm stupid. People laughed at me, sometimes the teachers, sometimes when I would read in class mm. and I, I couldn't pronounce words, even though they told me how to pronounce it, I couldn't do it. That was part of my learning disability. Mm. And people laughed at me. So when I got older, even when I got into Al-Anon and they'd ask me, I would leave the room when mm-hmm. we had to read certain stuff. So I thought, no, people are going to laugh at me. Mm. And I want them not to know this about me. Yeah. But after being there for a while, I got over it. And, I, and then I've been able to share all that. So then it um, releases its grip on me, the hold that it had on me. And I thought, well, people are okay here. They don't, they're not laughing at me. Mm-hmm. They want to help me. So the simple act of talking and, 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 and revealing these secret thoughts was enough to, to release, uh, release them from you. Yes, because for me, um, I had all these thoughts and I wouldn't really tell people exactly what I was thinking because I thought I'm crazy and no one else thinks like this because obviously I'm not sharing any of uh, what has happened throughout my life and how I feel about myself Mm. and then of others. So I kept it in myself, believing it all to be true. And so um, when I got into Al-Anon and they asked for your experience, I thought, well, my story, I can tell my story and no one can tell me, no, that's wrong, you're stupid. Mm -hmm. So... I was able just to speak very easily and and it, and it was freeing me. Wonderful. Okay, uh, Demetra, we'll take a break there. Um, I'm sure. going to play a song called Hear My Plea by the Teske Brothers. Wonderful, thank you. Sail across the ocean wide eye From the fear and greed my home divide I had to swallow all my pride I had to run when Papa died Upon the foreign sand, your hand and your heart, you give to any helping hand again. Extend to helping you. Take all our 
from me, you see, the soldiers here arrested me, you see, they chained me and imprisoned me, you see, seems my papa told a lie to me.
Have you experienced or seen racism against blackfellas? Report racism against First Nations people with Call It Out, an online register to expose racism. Stand up, be heard, call it out. Go to callitout.com.au. A 3CR supporter. North Preston Life Saving Club is a new creative space, gallery and studios run for and by queer artists with disability. They're currently taking applications for studios and membership with priority given to disabled, queer and BIPOC communities. They'll be running workshops, holding community events and showcasing works by local and interstate artists. The North Preston Life Saving Club crew are seeking assistance in getting up and running and they need your help to get three-phase power to run equipment, including a kiln. To find out more and to show your support for independent creatives, please visit their Facebook page, North Preston Life Saving Club. North Preston Life Saving Club is a 3CR supporter. This is a Living Free Show on 3CR 855 kilohertz on your AM radio dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you would like to listen to one of our many podcasts, then you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone, email or Twitter. I'm talking today with Demetra, a member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon, in which people affected by someone else's drinking share their experience, strength and hope to solve their common problems. Hi, Demetra. Welcome back. Thank you, Anne. Okay, so you told us about your adult life. Um, when did you first realise that you needed to get some help for yourself? Well, I was um, married probably for six years and I had um, a, a boy and a girl and they were um, early ages, I don't know, seven or something. And my husband and myself had separated. Um, my husband also came from an alcoholic home and um, we had separated and through our therapy, I had suggested that we do therapy. I'd never done therapy before. Actually, no, I did do therapy. Um, I'm just going to go back a little bit. Um, when my son was um, eight months old, I realized that I wanted to leave um, my son and my husband. We were living in Bali at the time. I felt I couldn't look after him. And I was um, feeling very depressed and even thought about suicide at that time. He brought me back to Melbourne and I went into a clinic for postnatal depression with my son. And I was put on medication. So I had some therapy then. And then um, years later, moving forward, my husband and me had separated. Um, We had a daughter. And I... um, I was talking uh, somewhat about my dad and my the sponsor, uh, sorry the um, counselor had said to me um, you I would suggest you go to Al-Anon. So um, I went to Al-Anon and that's where I heard my story about someone else's drinking mm-hmm. because in my mind I thought it was really about money and um And then I realized, and everything that I had done, I thought, well, you know, I made those choices. I didn't realize that not having um, grown up in a way that I was supported, especially as a woman, as a girl, Mm. uh, being told everything that I need to know going out into the world, 
and my choices and also being brown skin really um, kept me behind the eight ball mm. till I was, you know, in my 40s. Mm. And so that impacted my marriage because I could never communicate with my husband of what I needed because I didn't know what I needed. So I was always pointing the finger at him. Mm. Yep, that's uh, that's the way it is, isn't it? You, you just mm-hmm. uh, that's the way it is. All right. So, what did you hear at your first Al-Anon meeting that made you think, okay, this is a good place for me? Well, just the fact that people were able to speak freely about their feelings, and no one was interrupting them. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're listening to others what they're saying, and you're like, oh, I can say that. And just talking about um, being an adult child of an alcoholic. Now, I don't really like to call other people alcoholics. So I just say, you know, my dad drank a lot mm. and and gambled and his focus was on that. And um, But after, so it, I really resonated um, with what they were saying. Mm-hmm. But, but throughout my years of recovery, um, my focus is not on that anymore. My dad passed away um, several years ago. But even in my first year of recovery, I wanted to go and tell my parents exactly what they had done wrong. Yep. And the good thing is that's why you need a sponsor because I would speak to this about my with my sponsor, and they would say, "How do you how do you think they're going to respond to that when they get all this information? What do you think they're going to do with it?" They don't have any tools to be able to take this information. Mm-hmm. And I sat on that, and that was so true because I had been in Al-Anon for over a year, and I was just starting to get some tools, and yet I was going to go and dump this in my parents' lap and expect them to say, yes, I did all that. And we're, so, and we're sorry about that. <laughs> yes. So, and I, so at the end of the day, I never had. Mm. and I didn't, and through the program, taking my own inventory, I was able to start to change my behaviour and start to see it through a higher power's eyes and not just through my pain. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us a little bit about what that inventory revealed? Um, you, you know, you talked about how it's so clear to see what your parents' mistakes were, um, what were some of your own um, shortcomings that you were able to identify? Well, the, the number one problem that I did have that I always speak about, which is quite um, hard for me to express, was um, I had a lot of anger mm. and a lot of, um, and I I didn't realise this straight away, but years later I realised how self-righteous I was. Because even being in Al-Anon, I would say things like, oh, everyone should be working this program. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, look at me, I'm so great now. And I realised that's so self-righteous because I was attracted to this program and I work the program and I've changed. Um, And it's not because I've changed, it's because people tell you things. And, And then you start to feel the peace of the program. So self-righteous and anger were one of them. And and one of the biggest ones is mind my own business. Mm. 
if I mind my own business, stay in my hula hoop, I cannot get into someone else's hula hoop and start turning that around because then I'm going to control them. Mm. So, um, and having no expectations. So of other I people? Can, yeah, so I can ask people to help me or whatever, and if they say no, I don't need to know why they don't want to help me. Mm-hmm. And also just if I want to help others, don't have any expectations that others will help me. Yep. So the focus is really totally back on your own agency and your own behaviour. Correct. Mm. And and the relationship that's the most important to me, even before my children and my husband, is really the attachment to the spirit that lives within me. Mm-hmm. And that's the relationship I I um, focus on. And how does that help you? Can you t- can you explain to us a little bit about how that works? Well, because the spirit is the one that guides me to do the right thing. Because if I use my own thinking, my emotions, and um, what other people's actions are, will sway me to do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So in order to do the right thing, I need to first surrender and ask for help. It's always about seeking the help of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And if I seek that, the answer will come. And then I will have to have courage to face that and to do the right action, even though I really want to do another action, to show the other person you're wrong and I'm <laughs> right. And that has never helped me at all. Mm-hmm. So you've really got to um, put your own thoughts to the side, the thought that you're right, and also the feeling of wanting to release that annoyance or that anger at the other person. Mm-hmm. Because if something is annoying me, it's not that person. It's something that is not sitting well with me. So it's either I want to control the outcome or I have an expectation of how it should go, and it's also a self-centered need because I don't have all the puzzles to the jigsaw where the spirit does, and it's all put in place where it runs smoothly for me. And, um, for example, you know, I wanted to go back to work many years ago, and I wanted to study and um, take a different career path after 20 years of being home. And every time I asked, I the answer was no. And so I continued to stay at home and I worked on my recovery. And only this year or last year did I start to study. And I was even wanting to give up because I thought, I'm not good enough. I'm going to do a terrible job. Who am I fooling? And every time I had to sit down and study, I would just say the serenity prayer and I would just do the work. Mm-hmm. Just do the study, you mean? Just, just, just yes. do it. Yep. Yeah, just yeah. do it. Stop saying you're not good enough. Yeah. Don't think too much about your answers. Are they right? Is it enough? Do you sound stupid? Yeah. All that negative disease comes back because it's always in the head. So they, I've learned that I need to live in the heart. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, okay. And uh, so given that this is a program about um, living with an alcoholic or having an alcoholic who's close to you, what do you have a different perspective on alcoholism now, having been an Al-Anon and, and, and the alcoholic? Um, yes. Yeah, so for me, when you, when you learn about the disease, 
because obviously when you see people driving drunk and all that, oh, well, why can't they just stop? Yeah. So it, it is a disease and the disease, it, alcohol is only 10% of the problem and usually with addiction, um, people that uh, become addicts usually have got a lot of pain or trauma in their life. Um, so they use the alcohol or drugs to make them feel better and to, to be able to live in the world. Mm till it catches up and becomes too much. So I have that understanding. So if I'm faced with drinkers, I have my own boundaries. Um, and if I'm faced with alcohol, I can still be around people that drink. Um, if it gets to a point that I don't understand what they're saying or it, it's a bit too loud now mm -hmm. for me, I'll just remove myself because it's got nothing to do with me. Mm. Um and again, my, my son is turning 18 um, in uh, next uh, in two months, and our request for him is not to drink till he's 18 to follow the law. And um, and so all his friends always ask him, "Oh, you don't drink in there?" And he just says, "Because my mum said not to until I'm 18." Mm -hmm. So he's respected that because we have shared our past and our information with him mm -hmm. so he understands what this disease is about. Yep, yep. Okay, Demetra, I will take another break here. Um, I'm sure. going to play a song uh, called Crooked River by Elon Jewell.
So here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ujoma Umbinyo Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Ayan every Monday at 2.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Three CR is radical radio. Through our on-air content and community structure, we promote real change for workers' rights, gender equality, environmental action, disability justice, and on racism and First Nations sovereignty. Do you want to be part of real radical change? We need you to subscribe. It's just forty dollars concession, eighty dollars waged, one hundred and fifty dollars for a band or organisation, and three hundred dollars solidarity. Call zero three nine four one nine eight three seven seven. That's nine four one nine eight three seven seven. Or subscribe online at three crorgau forward slash subscribe. listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Welcome back to the Living Free Show. Today we're talking with Demetra about recovery from the effects of living with an alcoholic. So, Demetra, um, where are you now? What's your life like now? Well, my life is, well, my thinking, not so much my life, but my thinking has uh, changed. Um, I, I can't even comprehend my thinking, how it was to how it is today. Mm-hmm. So I, I truly do feel free from the past. And that's as long as I continue um, to um, live this life. I don't even say work the program. So as long as I uh, attend meetings, which I do, and I have a sponsor and I sponsor another woman, so it's always said to uh, give freely what you have received in order to keep it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't give what you don't have. And, and so my thinking... And that was the problem was my thinking and, of course, the trauma um, throughout my life, which I have used outside resources for that. Um, there is no um, blame. And whatever I come across today, I have tools to be able to deal with that. But I think the main thing for me is that I'm becoming the woman that I was meant to be mm-hmm. and that's not to be afraid and to be who I am. And to be happy about it. And the other thing that I always struggled with was um, being a mother. Um, right from the word go, I couldn't even breastfeed. Um, I struggled for a long time to mother. That's why I wanted to leave my son when he was eight months. And my husband was great. My son was great. It was just me. I just could not um, connect 
and I struggled to connect and I didn't understand why. So the 12-step program gave me those answers and then I had to work it and taking my inventory and being accountable for my mistakes and making amends is a huge part. But with my children who are now um, 17 and 15, it has given me these tools to mother them. And even with them, I have to learn to mind my own business yep. <laughs> and stay on my side. And when I try, especially when I try to control my 15-year-old girl, the more I control her, the more we were fighting so much last year. And um, I finally surrendered that and I was given the message that I need to hand her over to somebody else. So I put her in the hands of my husband and her higher power and we we don't fight. And we used to fight every day over anything and everything. And we were just um, having conflicts, I think, because she was going through um, her change in life and I'm going through my change in life. And we were just conflicting. And they do say women can be their worst enemies, mm. our worst enemies. So taking a step back and the more I take a step back and just let her be, the more she's becoming the person she's meant to be. Mm. And one of the most important things I think with children is that even though my children might feel unhappy in their lives for no apparent reason sometimes, that I can still be happy. Mm. and let them feel their feelings and let them, they know they can come to us. They know we fully support them, but let them just go through their hard times and sometimes they have to work it out. It's such a hard thing for for a mother, isn't it? And, and it really does go against everything that we sort of absorb from society about, about what your role as a parent is, doesn't, isn't it? Yes, and especially for mothers because... You know, um, I now take care of myself and I. there was a period of time that I was not taking care of myself. And I have found if I just find time to exercise and eat well and, and, and have that rest, then that's what I'm going to be giving my children. And so I don't, they can see it. So again, that saying, it's not promotion, it's attraction. Mm. And even yesterday, my, my daughter sang at the St. Patrick's Cathedral for Star of the Sea. It was 140 years that they were celebrating. And we didn't want to send her to a Catholic school, but that was the answer. And it's working out really well for her. And I went to kiss her and, and, and wish her good luck. And her fa- her friends go, oh, is that your mom? And she goes, yes, oh, she looks really lovely. <laughs> and all, like, I, I dressed because we went to the cathedral, but it was more the fact that I was able just to be free and I and wish her well and be there supporting her. And, um, and it's just like what they say, it's like there's a light around you yeah. if you walk in the light of the higher power and not the, the darkness of the disease. And not carrying all the baggage that you don't need mm-hmm. to carry. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what about um, your own 
your own anger and your your um, depression and and all the things that we bring into our adult life with us. Yeah, um, how, how are you with all that nowadays? Yeah, so depression was really a big thing for me, and um, so and I and I remember having it as a young child. When I think back, that I used to feel very sad and depressed, mm. and I thought, you know, all of it it just um, engulfed me. And many times in my young age, I used to think of committing suicide. Mm. And, um, of course, I never told anyone this. And other things happened to me as well. And so um, I was on medication, but um, I've been off medication now for 14 years. And and that's because I took outside help and I I do exercise because I need to get those endorphins going. So that's another part. And then also I was a terrible eater and I used to feed myself junk food, all that all that sugar was not helpful for um for me. So once I I I balanced it all off, I don't take medication, I exercise, I work a spiritual program, I I live a spiritual life. And I heard the other day that they did a research on people that live over 100. And two of the major things that came out first and second was community, being part of community, which mm-hmm. I feel I am, and um, being of service to people freely. Mm-hmm. And the other part was a spiritual life. Mm-hmm. And so I just find that um, I first look after myself. I must come first even before my children. It's like, you know, being on an aeroplane and put the mask on you first. And then you know how much you can give people and then when to step away from them because at the end of the day, I'm not here to fix anyone. I'm here to support people in whatever path they choose for themselves that are going to be helpful for them. And you can't give if you don't have the resources yourself. No, no, because that's what I'll give at the end of the day. If I'm not a happy person, that's what I was giving out. I, my husband and me used to fight all the time. He wanted to divorce me um, many years ago, and he just couldn't live with me anymore. Um, and he's he came from an alcoholic home as well. Unfortunately, his mum died of the disease, mm. and in a very tragic way. So we had the disease on both sides, and so... For us, um, if if he didn't go to Al-Anon and I didn't go to Al-Anon, then uh, we know for sure our marriage would have ended. Yeah. It was ending anyway, and the only thing that saved us was that we had to look at ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you um, like step out of just your personal story a bit and, and just tell the audience what sort of um, behaviours children of alcoholics take into relationships I don't want to put pressure on you but if you've got any at your fingertips that you can think of well um, the one thing that I learned from my dad I I just felt that he had the power because he yelled and he was um in charge mm -hmm. so I felt like it's a power thing that they had like I have you have to be in control yep and then the other part of it is when a parent is drinking um then the pe- then the children have to look after the parents. So they grow up very quickly and they become the adults. Yep. And then they start to... So it, the, the main one is the control. Yep. And that... Um, and some children, when they grow up, it's more like, well, if I don't drink, I won't be like my parents. 
So as I said earlier, it's really not the drink or the substance or the addiction itself. It's it's the behaviour that we pick up. And then the, the second one, uh, so there's control. There's also fear. It's a fear base. Yep. And so people are fearful um, all the time and taking risk and not having the courage to change the behaviour. But the number one thing that um, I feel that is on top of the, the, the list of addiction is pride. Oh, okay. Because people don't want to be told what to do. Yeah. They don't, like when you go in, you don't want to be told that, oh, you're insane, your your behaviour is insane and your life's unmanageable and you can't manage it. So no one likes to be told what to do. And that's what I have found in the program. So this is why this is all suggestions. The higher power, you believe whatever you want to believe. It's a universe or a plant, as long as you don't think it's you. <laughs> but people want to be in control. They want, and if they don't have the control, it's like, what, I'm not smart enough to work out my own problems. But as I said, we don't have all the pieces. So it's like going for a job. And you're applying, you think, I've got all the qualifications. Well, you're not seeing all the other 10 people applying for the job either. So there's the pride. I'm good enough to get this job. Why didn't I get this job? So I think pride has to be the leading one defect of character, what I have seen in the 12-step program. Um, Yeah, and, and fear and control are the, the three top ones. And you've just got to relinquish all of those three, really, don't you, to, to get ahead, to, to move ahead of that? Yeah, well, they always say um, people think that surrender is that you have lost. Yep. And in a 12-step program, for me, if you surrender, means that you can be helped. Yep, that's right. Okay, so so it's really a, really a that surrender, so it's a... It's replacing the pride with some humility. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, yeah, yeah. and you talked, uh, we talked yesterday, actually just had a chat, you talked about honesty. How important Mm -hmm. do you think honesty is in in these programs? Yeah, Yeah, so definitely, um, thank you for reminding me that. Yeah, so the first step is really, if you're honest, you can be helped. And I find that even when I was doing my inventory, um, you know, I lived in Bali and I wasn't paying tax there. <laughs> and when I did my inventory and it came up later on and I thought, that's dishonest because I could get away with it. And so obviously I can't go back and, you know, I can't even remember. So what I decided to do and I prayed on it, that every month now I donate money to Indonesia to to a child for an education and I've been doing that for a couple of years now and my husband said, well, when will you stop that? And I said, when the high power tells me to stop. And I also do it um, in other countries too where I felt like, oh, I didn't do this, so... It's for me. It's a living amends. It's so, making amends. Yep. Yeah. So I'm. I've said it to the high power. I said it to my sponsor, and I, I'm. I'm giving back that money. And even in the Turkish um, um, earthquakes, I'm donating now fifty dollars. And I feel like, well, the high power will tell me 
when I need to stop that, mm-hmm. and that's okay with me. And and I'll finish um, with my kids too. Um, you know, to say that I'm sorry for my behaviour also is my husband and me because they knew that we were going to divorce. Um, we say to them by us working our new marriage contract now is to work the program and that's our commitment to our marriage mm-hmm. and to our children. Yep, that's huge, isn't it? It is because there's, um, you know, sometimes my husband's like, he doesn't want to work it, but he knows when he works it, 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 it works well for both of us. Um, but it's like, you know, I wanted to redo our vows because we're 20 years married uh, this year, mm. but I thought, well, no, just going to Al-Anon that's our commitment to our marriage because that means that we're looking at ourselves and what we need to continue to... Because change needs to occur in order to evolve. And also, if you stop... For me, if I stop growing, then life gets pretty boring. Yep. So um, if I'm willing to keep looking at whatever my higher power presents to me and not be afraid, and if I'm in pain, that means change is occurring for me. Yep. Um, yeah, that's a good thing to realise, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. and do your husband and you go to the same meetings or do you go to separate meetings? No, we go to separate because we try to keep it separate from each other. Once in a while if we're travelling, so when we travel, um, we'll go to meetings and um, if there's not many around, we just go together. Um, but we try and keep it as separate as possible mm-hmm. um, just to keep it, you know, that he can freely share without me being there and vice versa. So we find that to be a little bit more healthy, but maybe when we're older we might have to go together. But for now we we go separately. Yep, so you've got that healthy um, distance from each other. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, Well, we're just at the end of our um, conversation. Demetra, is there anything Mm -hmm. you you want to say before you go? Um. Well, I I, I always say to people, you know, if you have um, any of these issues with relationships, you might not even know that it's alcohol Mm. because you don't know the history of grandparents and so forth. It's always suggested that you just attend a meeting. You don't have to speak. And they always say go to six meetings and just listen and um, see what you can get from it because you've got nothing to lose. And especially now that it's on Zoom, so it's easy to get to. Mm. And the fact is, you know, people will, you know, through my certificate, people also think that 12-step programs are religious programs. Mm. And I'm here to tell you that they're not. It's a a spiritual-based program, and you can think of spirituality the way you choose to. It's only... um, um, what you're comfortable with. And um, I've been going for over 12 years. And as I said before, my marriage would not have survived if we did not attend this. And on top of that, it's free. Yeah, that's a, that's a major one, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. If you want to give a dollar in a meeting, fine. But, you know, we started off in therapy, which was which was great. And I believe in therapy. Mm-hmm. But then long term, you can step into an, any 12-step program and it will offer you this um, this service. And you're also around people that are going through similar things, mm. which makes you feel that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you very much, Demetra. And I just want to say to the audience out there, um, if you get onto the Al-Anon um, Victorian Southern Area website, um, they'll direct you to Zoom meetings. But if you just uh, Google Al-Anon any location in the world, you know, Al-Anon uh, Sri Lanka or mm-hmm. Al-Anon Bali, uh, you will find Zoom meetings, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> There's just thousands of them, isn't there? Yeah, there is, and, and and it's great because now that we're on Zoom, we get people from India, yep. and it's just amazing listening to different accents and yep. different ways of living. It's it's such an education. Isn't it? Yep. Yeah. That was a gift of the pandemic, that one. It certainly was. It certainly was. Okay, um, that's all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Demetra for sharing her experience with us. Thanks, Demetra. Thank you for having me, Anne. I really appreciate it. Thank you. If you're concerned about problem drinking in a relative or friend and would like to find out more about Al-Anon family groups, then you can phone them on 1300 252 666 or go online at alanon.org.au. If you're concerned about your own drinking and would like to find out more about AA, you can give them a call on 1300 222 222 or visit their website at aa.org.au. Coming up next, we have Balanois, the Spirit of Wa, hosted by Uncle Taljim Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. And uh, just while we're waiting uh, for Uncle Choco's time to start on the radio today, we'll just play another song. Well, my daddy worked the land Like his father before Rising up every day To the song of the birds But the birds have all gone My daddy has too I'm a country girl father You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.